Thank you so much for listening to the Talking Classical podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the Talking Classical podcast and you'll receive a notification every time a new episode is released. You can also follow the Talking Classical podcast on Twitter, on the Talking Classical blog and on Facebook and YouTube. Many thanks for listening once again. I hope that you'll be able to join me for the next episode very soon. My name is Annabelle Lee and welcome back to another episode of the Talking Classical podcast. A happy belated new year to all of you and I hope that your new year is going as well as it can be in the current circumstances, particularly in the UK during the third national lockdown where I'm based. I know it's been a really, really difficult few weeks or so, particularly for the classical music community and the industry. So in these podcasts, I just want to be able to provide interesting conversations for you to listen to, to be able to provide some creative and some artistic inspiration during this difficult time. And later on in this podcast, I'm going to be sharing an interview that I recorded last week with Kate Royal, who is one of the world's leading sopranos. It was a really interesting conversation, and I'm really excited to share that with you. So stay tuned to listen to that. But I'm really excited to be doing my first giveaway with PlayScore 2, the app that takes your sheet music scanning to the next level. I thought it'd be really nice to give you some little treats, some freebies, just to be able to give you some musical inspiration during this difficult time. Now, PlayScore 2 is an amazing app that lets you play a score from a photo or a regular PDF naturally and smoothly using the latest techniques in optical music recognition, that's OCR for music. Simply take a snap of your score or import a score from IMSLP and PlayScore 2 will play back your music as it should sound. And you can also export your music to score editors like Dorico, Sibelius, MuseScore or Finale. PlayScore 2 is compatible with both iOS and Android devices. You can download the PlayScore 2 app for free but I'm really pleased to be giving away a limited number of codes that will allow you one month's free access to the professional subscription of PlayScore 2. How do you enter this giveaway? Well, it's really easy. All you have to do is go over to the contact page on the Talking Classical blog. That's talkingclassicalpodcast.wordpress.com forward slash contact. I'll leave a link to the contact page also in the description. Then you need to fill out the contact form with your name, email address and PlayScore 2 giveaway as the subject heading. The first 20 people to submit this message will each receive a code that can be instantly redeemable. But please note that if you want to enter this giveaway, you need to have an iPhone or an iPad because the codes will only work 
with Apple devices. Now the giveaway runs from Saturday the 6th of February 2021 and closes on Sunday the 28th of February 2020 at 23.59pm British time or as soon as all of the codes have been allocated. For more information about this giveaway, please go to the Talking Classical blog, but I'll also leave a link in the description below. What are you waiting for? Go over to the Talking Classical blog now and enter this exclusive giveaway to get your hands on one of these special codes for PlayScore 2, the app that sight reads your sheet music. Kate Royal is one of the world's leading sopranos and I was really pleased to be able to talk to her last week. We talked about her journey into music and classical singing and what it was like training at the world-renowned Guildhall School of Music and Drama. She discusses having a fulfilling balance between singing and life post-conservatoire and then later on in her career, something that she's very keen now to address to the younger generation of singers. Additionally, she highlights the skill and the ability that opera singers need to negotiate many different facets of their art form, both in the profession and in the act of live performance. And now Kate wants to inspire the younger generation of singers. So she's in the early stages of setting up a support network for singers of all ages in conjunction with her alma mater, the National Opera Studio. Kate talks briefly about this support network and in that light, towards the end of this conversation, she offers her advice to young singers and musicians during the current COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you very much to Kate for taking the time to talk to me, especially for this podcast. And don't forget, if you're new to this podcast, please do check out all of the previous episodes. I've had the opportunity to talk to some wonderful artists and creatives over the last few years or so making this podcast. And if you'd like to, it would be really great if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, because this will help the podcast to reach a wider audience Okay, so here is my interview with Kate Royal. I hope that you enjoy listening to this conversation. I hope that you stay safe wherever you are in the world. And I hope that you'll be able to join me very soon for another podcast. So do you think that you could start off by telling us then about your first introduction to music? Did you grow up with a lot of classical music and opera in your household? My introduction to music, live music, um, really came because my mother was, she used to be a dancer and she became a dancing teacher. So I spent most of my childhood sitting in her dancing classes, either taking part or sitting with the pianist. Um, And he was a wonderful, I suppose, a jazz pianist. So he played all the, you know, wonderful old um, show tunes and tunes of the 30s and 40s. So I remember looking over his shoulder and learning to read the music that way and watching his hands and thinking, wow, this is this is really something, you know. So that was how I my first sort of exposure to live music. I was probably four or five years old then. So pretty tiny. And I went to pretty traditional schools and um, my music involvement at school was as I think most most kids have or at least used to have uh, weekly general music lessons um, I started learning the piano at about the age of seven so yeah I was a 
um, pretty interested in being a pianist for a while. So that was my first musical focus. And as a teenager, I joined a sort of amateur dramatics society. So I was performing a lot as a singer and a dancer, um, which was just a huge amount of fun and a great way to learn, you know, an amazing way to learn um, how to perform in different environments and things were very last minute. Um, so by the time I went to music college at the age of 18, performing for me was absolutely second nature. And I think I was quite surprised at, at some of the, you know, the, the other students really hadn't had any of that exposure to, to performing. So yeah, it was a fairly traditional route. Um, opera kind of came in as a bit of a curveball when I was a teenager. I was introduced to a, a local teacher and he sort of heard me sing and said, you should maybe consider something classical as opposed to musical theatre tunes, which I sort of attempted, but it never, it just all sounded wrong, as I think often it does when opera singers try and sing, <laughs> sing that more modern repertoire. So the minute I, I, I sang a, a piece of Mozart, and it sounds like a cliche, but it really did feel that this was a good fit. This was a good fit for my voice and that it was something that I could pursue. And then I, I just, you know, became pretty obsessed with the, the stories of opera, the libretti. So I would go to the library and hire out Pelias and Melisande, for example, on, on um, a CD, I maybe even record, I, I can't, can't quite remember. But for me, it was just the stories and understanding these sort of adult stories. So as a teenager, it all just, it felt like my own little world that nobody knew about that I could lose myself in. Um, so I came at it maybe sort of from the, the dramatic side at that stage, rather than admiring the voices. And when I went to music college at the age of 18, I went as a joint study as a singer and a pianist. And that's what led me into the world of song singing, which has become a really important part of my, my career. So yeah, I can sort of see things from both angles, which I think is really, really helpful. And um, I'm sort of very grateful for those hours I spent slaving away at the piano, <laughs> driving my family completely nuts. <laughs> wow that's very interesting so you were a dancer and a pianist before you explored singing so how did those two different aspects influence you as as a singer or did you want to become a dancer first or a pianist first before you became I a singer? probably um I was that little girl who who wanted to be a dancer perhaps there was was a time where I imagined or hoped that I would do that but I think when I found singing and I found my voice as a, as a teenager, I, it, it just, I didn't have to think twice about that. I, I, it just felt right. Um, I perhaps, because I came at it from that slightly different angle, I did feel a little um, out of my depth in some areas. Um, you know, the, the choral tradition, for example, was something I just hadn't really experienced. I'd been in choirs at school and stuff, but but there were many singers at, at my music college that came from that strong tradition. So it was a whole area of music that I didn't know about and didn't really understand. But for me, it just gave me a sense of how to, how to work with the body, I think. And singing is obviously all about the body. And I think also acting is all about how you use your body and the tempo with which you, you move 
um, and an awful lot can be done and shown on stage through through movement and tempo. So um, yes, all these sort of little bits coming coming together, I suppose. Amazing. So so what was your experience of music college like then? And where did you train? Yeah, I went to the Guildhall School um, in the city. Um, I was a pretty diligent student. So I was, I was focused and I knew what I wanted. <laughs> and I worked really, really hard. And I was always the student who was sort of running down the corridor just with armfuls of scores. And I was just learning repertoire at a crazy rate and learning songs at a crazy rate. So by the time I finished Guildhall, I, I knew hundreds and hundreds of, of songs. And, you know, I had quite a few roles under my belt. So I took it really seriously. And I think now I look back, I wish I hadn't taken it quite as seriously. And I think that I perhaps put too much weight on, um, on singing in my life in general, in that when things went a little bit awry, which I will talk about a little bit later on maybe, um, it was quite difficult. I had to really re readjust that balance. So when I talk to students now, which I do every now and again, I really try and say to them, you know, you, you have to have that full picture. You, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, in this day and age, you're incredibly lucky to have any semblance of a career at all. Um, so to really have that balance is key and to have other things with which you value in yourself is very important as well. So, um, but yeah, going back to Guildhall, I just, I worked very hard. I really, really enjoyed it. And I was sort of, um, I won't say thrown out at the end, it, I, you know, the, the time had come to end studies and, and move into the, you know, the big bad world. And I suppose that that happened with quite full force for me in that I was immediately working at a very high level. And it all just was a bit of a whirlwind, <laughs> a bit of a blur. Um, in some ways I felt equipped in that I knew I could, um, execute the singing bit but the actual practicalities of, of the life and the way of life for an opera singer <clears throat> it's very hard to sort of teach that you have to just do it so that was a bit of a shock finding myself away with a suitcase being lost somewhere uh, not being able to find the opera house not being able once you find the opera house you can't find the stage door and then once you finally get to the stage door you can't find your dressing room or the stage and all these tiny little mountains that you have to have to climb. So yeah, it took me a few years to settle into that. And I can't say the routine of it because there is no routine really right. as an opera singer. Um, and also I hadn't traveled very much up until that point. So that, that for me was sometimes really stressful um, and learning the tricks of the trade, but um, you can't teach a lot of that. So I just had to get on with it and focus on the thing that I love doing, which was, you know, being out there on stage and doing what I was passionate about. Mm -hmm. So were you on the opera course or was it the, the vocal studies course? I, I did a, an undergraduate degree and then I did the opera course. Yeah. And then I went to the National Opera Studio. Right. So there was a certainly a sense everyone kept saying to me you've got to be careful you, you can't you know go out too soon and I remember sort of thinking well be careful of what you know I, I wasn't quite sure what they meant um my 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 
my ambition, I suppose, and my drive felt that it was the right thing to do to, to go out and to be taking the opportunities that were in front of me. But I certainly, luckily, I had excellent management and certain things that I was offered very early on. I mean, crazy things from, you know, big companies, um, because for a while I was, you know, perhaps flavor of the month for a while. And, you know, I had to I had to say no to some amazing opportunities that I knew just wouldn't be right for me at the time. Um, but as I said, you know, it, it was all <sighs> learning on the job. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so do you feel now that you've been able to to get the balance between singing and life like you were saying earlier I think classical musicians put a lot of their identity in in their performance don't they yeah yeah I think it's a I think that you know everyone is searching for this not just musicians you know everyone is looking to have a fulfilling working life and a fulfilling home life um, I always wanted to have children. So for me, that was not a sort of question of was I going to do that? I knew, that, you know, I hoped that would happen for me. Um, and it happened at a time when I was, you know, doing some great work um, and I had to cancel a lot of very nice things. And then the reality, of course, of having to sing as a, as a professional and travel with two young children. Um, yeah, that was a whole new, <laughs> whole new ball game, but now they're older, it's it's a lot easier, even though, of course, they can't travel as much with us on jobs now when they were little, you know, and they're sort of portable. It's great. And you can go wherever and and um, set up home, you know, in all sorts of places. So we had a lot of adventures and there's pictures of them all over the world and they can't remember, <laughs> you know, did we really go there? And so um, it was it was, uh, you know, a pressurized time. But I, I do look back with fond memories, fond memories of it. Do you feel like you're able to now get yes. Yeah. yes, I do. Absolutely. I, I think what what happened to me, which I haven't spoken really that publicly about it, but I had when I had my son in 2009, I had a cesarean and it really badly affected my voice. So when I came back to singing, I just went, well, what, ha- what on earth happened to my voice? It just wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of slightly carried on regardless in that I was trying to just build up my strength again. Um, I suffered from postnatal depression. So I was a little bit all over the place, but I was so determined that it wasn't going to affect my career and I was going to carry on. And so I did. And so for a few years, I guess I was just under par, you know, I was not at my best. I wasn't really enjoying it. And what ended up happening was I developed stage fright. So sort of gradually, um, imperceptibly, it, it, it was there. And I pretty much um, ignored it and just carried on. I didn't really know what it was. I just felt a lot of fear and I felt a lot of apprehension about the future. So it was this constant feeling of whatever was ahead I, I was dreading it. So it was a really tough time and I didn't quite know what it was. So it took me a long time to understand quite what it was. And I eventually, once I started reading about anxiety and understanding the realities of it, I just, I just thought, well, that's me. 
I, I knew that that's what it was. And then obviously that led me into um, music performance anxiety, which is what stage fright is. So having to work my way through that was, took me a long time. And that went hand in hand with my voice and trying to get to the root of what was causing this fear. And in the end, it was technical issues, which I underlying, you know, perhaps were there all along, I don't know, but you hit your thirties, your voice changes, you're exhausted. Um, there's all sorts going on. And this is really um, what led me on this huge journey of learning and understanding about the voice and the mind and the, the connection between the two. And so once I had uh, understood that for me, the underlying issue behind it was, was something technical and that I was going on stage not fully, fully secure in the knowledge that I was going to be able to execute the, the singing, then I could sort of make a plan. So I shopped around a bit for teachers and I ended up on the doorstep of Janice Chapman, who, who I've been working with since. And we've just you know, went through a very fabulous process of unpicking everything and very slowly building the blocks again, which I never fully did in the first place. So at the beginning, I was relying on a natural ability and that's not enough. That's not enough for a career as an opera singer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, putting these stable blocks in and the foundation was a really cathartic process and really, um, I love learning and I love practicing. So that just wasn't a problem for me. And, and in that, you know, in that process, um, I was then able to reevaluate what singing was for me and whether I wanted to carry on. And that, yeah, that was when I really asked myself, well, without singing, what am I? You know, if, if I'm not Kate the singer, then who am I? And, you know, those are big questions to deal with, big life, life questions. And I really did think long and hard about that and, 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 and thinking I had put too much weight on that part of my identity. Um, despite the fact that I had a wonderful family and I, I was, I'm a fairly grounded human being. So that's been a really incredible journey. So I'm on a little bit of a mission now to inform young singers of the, the reality of, of issues that they, they may or may not face. But in the opera world, vocal issues, there's a huge stigma around vocal issues. Singers are scared to talk about it. They are made to feel that they need to hide problems and just deal with them swiftly and quietly and then come back. Um, many don't come back because it's it's a very difficult thing to deal with. So I'm I'm getting together with a group of amazing singers in conjunction with the National Opera Studio, and we're putting together a a, um, a support group, a support network for for singers of all ages, and just to sort of try and highlight these issues a little bit more, and to say that these things happen, and singers really do need to know so they can recognise and spot. Um, for example, if they're starting to feel stage fright, then if they know the signs, then they can spot it early on and get the right help. So, yeah, it's called, it's going to be called Resound, I think, this group. Um, and hopefully there's some kind of a course which will be set up for singers in mid-career who have had a struggle one way or another, whether it's having children or having, you know, vocal issues, to give them the time and the space to 
reevaluate and to and to move forward. So um, in the end, it's had a lot of positive, uh, you know, a huge positive impact on my life because it's just shown me something else, shown me something really, really difficult that I've tried to. Yeah, it's it's really made me reevaluate, reevaluate. And I'm now at the stage where, of course, my voice feels stronger than it's ever done because I now really know what I'm doing. And we're in the pandemic and there's nobody working. <laughs> so we're all stuck not being able to sort of exercise ourselves in this creative way. But I know I'm not alone in that. We just have to be patient. Of course. So what does singing mean to you then? Singing is living for me. So when I, when I struggled to sing, uh, when my voice was so tied up in muscle and muscular tension, I couldn't, I couldn't sing clearly. I, I just couldn't, and I don't mean with a clear tone, I mean with a clear expression. Right. And it, it really just felt like I, a limb had been cut off. I mean, I, I, it, sounds, it sounds over the top, but I know other singers will understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. It was singing is just something that we, we can all do and we've all done since we were tiny. Mm -hmm. And suddenly for there to be a barrier in between you and your voice is a very, it's a very intense feeling. So to have gone through the process of being incredibly frustrated with my voice, to learning and rebuilding the relationship I have with my voice has, has, been, has been great. So that's a very, it's a difficult question. Yeah. But, you know, I sing because I want to express and I want to tell people about the things I see in the world and the things that I read in the amazing poetry that, that we are singing. Yeah. And I want people to have that deeper understanding. I want people to be able to, to really look around them and to feel something. And that for me is, my way of expressing that is through singing. And somebody else's way will be through writing a story or through whatever it is, but that is my way of expressing. And, and you were just talking about song earlier and you're known for being very engaging and having that connection with your audience on stage. So, I mean, what do you want your audience to feel when you are singing to them? I want them to engage with the words. Yeah. So I can't choose what they are going to feel, but I want them to, to either by hearing what I'm saying or by looking at the text in front of them or however they want to do that by engaging with the words that I'm saying and they and they may or may not have an emotional reaction to that so I suppose that yeah that's that's how I feel about it it's it's some people listen to music in order to to sort of let their mind drift off and 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 we don't listen to music much in our house. I mean, we just, it, we don't have music on in the background. So for me to, to be able to focus your mind onto something, you know, for an extended period of time, for, for a while I found it was very difficult to express. 
because I was, I was overly concerned with the technical aspect of singing. And I know that that has an effect on the audience. I know because I, I could feel that there was a barrier and I just couldn't cross that barrier because I was still trying to build and get back to the automatic way of expressing. So you're not thinking technically at all. Yeah. You're just able to speak. So it feels as natural as speaking. Yeah. And that was difficult because I, 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 I still had the things I wanted to express, but I, I knew that it wasn't coming across. Yeah. Because the, the, the inner voice that we all have, um, I think musicians are very, very familiar with the, the inner voice. And for me, that voice had become, you know, a, a very strong critic and it was very loud and very, um, and, and you know, really damaging. So to learn to tame that and to understand that was the key really for me to feel that I was, I could be honest again with the audience. Yeah. I'm not into fakery. I'm not into trying to make, I'm not into trying to make someone feel something. You know, if the music's good enough, and if the if the 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 way through which it is expressed, i.e., the performer, is honest and is has, has understood and has done their homework, then then in theory the audience will feel something. That's mm. how I look at it. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think that's very interesting what you said because, you know, I think sometimes you can see when musicians whether it's pianists violinists singers when they perform sometimes you see that their technique is getting in the way of them emoting um but then there are other other performers who just can really make you feel something and you know it just elevates the music making to a whole other level so where do you strike that balance then between technical excellence but then also making the audience feel something and like you were saying being you know true and honest with yourself um well it's the old phrase being in the moment I suppose and yeah. learning learning that skill is something that has to be practiced so as musicians we have to practice our instrument but I think we also have to practice the difference between practice and performance. Does that make sense? So, Absolutely. You can be very good at practicing, but not necessarily uh, good at performing. Exactly that. And, and the, the circumstances in which we practice are so vastly different to the oh. ones in which we perform. So, you know, I will go from my practice room onto the stage of an opera house. And how do you, how do you make that connection? So, Something that I'm, yeah, I'm interested in, again, in, in, in trying to um, explain to young, youngest, young singers, <laughs> um, or any singers, I guess, is that that's so crucial for the, to have the right sort of mindset that you, you practice to the point where you can breathe and you can think whilst you're playing or singing. So you, you can, you, you've done the work, you know, if you've done the work and it should be fairly automatic, there's always going to be tricky moments that you have to just say, right, okay, I know I need to do X, Y, or Z. But all that work has to be done in the practice room and to a certain extent in the rehearsal room. If you're, if you're in, a, in an opera and you're having to figure out movement and engagement with other people and all that kind of thing. 
So the mindset for performance is, is so different and, and that needs to be practiced. And that's about, you know, that's very much about leaving, leaving that inner voice aside and saying, you know, this is the whole inner game of music thing, which I'm sure yeah. <laughs> I've read, you know, year one of music college, leaving that aside and trusting you've done the work. So now it's, now it's the fun bit. Now it's the time to express and the audiences don't notice mistakes. They don't. They don't. They don't notice mistakes. They don't notice or care if you forget words or if you, I mean, you know, the amount of times I have just had a blank on text and just whatever, you just, you find a way. And they, they, it's so obvious when a performer is engaged in that way. And it's the combination of all of those things that creates a great performance. You have to be technically secure. You, 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 it, it's, um, and I mean, you, you can't, it can't really be hidden in the opera world. You can either do it or you, you can't. It's not, you know, I, I, it's not like being an actor where any, anyone can turn up for the audition as an actor and say, well, I'm, I'm an actor. I can, I'm going to try out for the part if, as long as they can speak. Whereas for, for, you know, for a classical musician, I mean, you, you can't fake it. It's just a degree of, of, you know, as you said, the balance between technical and there's some incredible singers who are not great technicians. And there's some incredible technicians who may not move an audience, but they've got all the fireworks. Mm. And different, different people want different things. And I think what's interesting as well, the acoustical properties of different opera houses and concert halls are just so different as well. And you can't predict as well what it's going to be like when you when you sing in there. And if you if you're in an amazing concert hall like Wigmore Hall and it can actually enhance your performance. Absolutely. I mean, you, you ha I mean, again, I was so incredibly blessed so early on to be singing recitals at the Wigmore Hall. I mean, I really... I've I've been I've been incredibly lucky. I, I really have. And I think one one thing that I've learned is that you know you you always have to sing with your voice wherever you are and whatever the acoustic. You have to you, you really have to hold on to what you know. Yeah. That's 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 key. And also that what we're hearing is not what the audience are hearing. So getting your head around that. You know, I definitely fell into the trap sometimes of thinking I've got to make some volume here, you know? And of course, in doing that, all that is going to happen is the voice is just going to <laughs> sound tiny. So um, it's a very complex, it's a very, very complex thing. And I mean, acoustics and stuff, I've never really understood or got my head around. I've just tried to sing with the voice that I know yeah and and um I mean you were just going back there to talking about different singers maybe some are more technical maybe some are more kind of they give you the fireworks so do you have any favorite singers or people that you you look up to who inspire you vocally one of my favorite voices for sure is Eleanor Steber an American okay. soprano, um, just a 
such a clean and bright and sort of oh it sounds such a silly strange thing to say an innocent instrument but just mm. such a pure a pure sound and an openness to her performing I just that's what I want to see on stage as I love I just love an openness and I love I love it when I see people communicating with each other on stage in a way that feels like they've you know, that it's just happening for the first time. And it's so obvious when you're working with a colleague, if they're up for that or not. And I know that I've been absolutely um, closed off in some performances and not able to open that channel where you actually go, right, let's play. We're in now. We are in the playroom and we can, we can explore mm-hmm. dramatically and musically. But it's quite rare. It's quite rare that that happens. But I think audiences feel that and know that. And in opera, there's so many elements required to sort of be functioning and working to to create that magic. That, that I think, yeah, I think it is a rare thing. There's a lot going on in terms of your attention when you're on stage. I mean, there's a huge amount of stuff um, to decide what to focus on <laughs> musically, dramatically, technically, spatially. Yeah. So yeah, learning learning those those skills of of being able to switch your attention very quickly from one thing to another is um, probably something I'll spend the rest of my life trying to <laughs> trying to master. Mm. Do you have to be good at multitasking then? Well, that's the thing is I, I don't know if multitasking is a good thing. I think you, you do have to be a multitasker as a, as a singer. But in, in general, in life, I don't think multitasking is great because I think in the end, you, you, nev- you don't get anything done that well. I used to think I was great at multitasking and I could do this and that and all these things at the same time. And then I realized I hadn't done any of them very well at all. And I should have just done one thing well, rather than half done. I, I just wanted to finish off. I mean, you were mentioning your um, your scheme that you're going to be doing with the National Opera Studio. So, I mean, obviously this is an incredibly difficult time for young singers and musicians. And I mean, do you have any advice for them during this during this time? Yeah, I think use the time use the time as wisely as you can there is you know our voices are always going to need work they will always be changing adapting and we have to work with those changes so to have these months and months and months without the pressure of having to pack a suitcase and say goodbye to your family and go and be in that highly pressurized situation use the time Use the time to practice, to, to, to rethink things, to analyze what, you, what you're doing, what you want, languages, roles. You know, I've learned nearly three, three new roles. So be ready. That, that's the advice I would give because we won't, we won't have this time again um, when, when, we, when we've got the sort of um, the freedom the freedom to to really think on and if and if and if you feel that you need a break then then take that break 
I think there's lots of singers that will have benefited from having six months of, of not singing and not putting that that sort of you know putting their voices through that that rigor so of course it's it it, it depends on the person but for young singers I think of course it's really difficult but we we have to trust and keep faith that people are going to want and people are going to need live classical music. And I mean live as in you're in the room, <laughs> you're yeah. in the room and you can feel, you can feel the sound hitting you. I mean, the amount of times people have said, well, you know, why don't you do a live stream, do a live stream of X, Y, or Z? Well, uh, the, the sort of sound system that you would need to do something like that successfully as, as a singer. I mean, we just don't have that kind of, that kind of equipment or that setup. And I hope that people will not have fallen out of the habit, you know, of going. But for sure, there's a whole lot of people ready and buzzing, buzzing with creative energy, because that's how I feel. I feel absolutely ready and buzzing to be back on stage and in I think it, in some ways having the time will have been positive for some people not not all people but for some people so just remember why it is you do what you do and remember what what made you train in the first place and hold on to that and also share ideas. You know, this is something I'm, I'm again talking about with, with the group. And again, it's, it's in, an, in its infancy, we are just starting to formulate it now. It hasn't really, um, you know, we haven't um, launched yet, oh. but sharing ideas and collaborating, and I don't mean collaborating musically, but collaborating with ideas. Yeah. Is, is, so helpful for everyone it benefits everybody so if it means picking up the phone to a singer friend and saying i i'm, I'm really struggling with this thing i don't know how to do it then then that's how you can use the time but I mean, yeah keep the faith because we we've we've all got something to say and we will have a chance to say it yeah have to be patient that's really cool thank you so much kate it's been so lovely speaking to you Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you.